There are times when we have to let go of this artistic designer mindset and shift ourselves to, to say, you know what, my job here is to communicate to a target customer and make my client happy. And sometimes I don't get to do the most artistic, greatest artistic design piece to achieve that. But other times I can work on my own projects and occasionally a client will want the artistic work of art for their design and it will work to communicate to the customer and satisfy the client. Sometimes you get the overlap, but most of the time it's one or the other. You're either design as a business or design as an art form. Welcome to the Studio Podcast, a show for ambitious creatives who want to level up their creativity, productivity, and leadership skills. I'm your host, Ilya Lobanov, an experienced designer and brand strategist, and also founder of Studio, a brand agency focused on growing and elevating brands and businesses. Now, today my guest is Michael Janda. He's a, an accomplished author and a great leader within the design industry, and we've covered quite a lot of uh, topics in this particular conversation. Uh, but our predominant topic was pricing for freelancers and that's something that a lot of creatives struggle with a lot and we've covered a lot of ground including things uh, like presenting prices and proposals to clients as well as other tips and tricks for ambitious creatives you'll probably notice that uh, there was also a feature guest on the podcast an occasional uh, hello by my young daughter alicia who was probably about six months at the time. So uh, this was recorded uh, early in August of 2020. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and uh, check it out right now. What is up? Hey. Good day, Michael. How, <laughs> how, are, you? how are you doing? Very good. I've got my coffee, so I'm, I'm good. I'm That's good to good. go. I've got my Coke Zero right here, so I'm good to go. It's afternoon for me. Yeah, it's you gotta lay off the sugar in the afternoon, so it's you can go to sleep. Uh, That's right, the sugar and caffeine. You gotta caper it back late afternoon. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, if I drink coffee, like say after two or three p.m., that's it. I'll be lying there in bed for a couple of hours. I won't yeah. be able to sleep at all. Yeah, you gotta some be careful. Have, some people take coffee before they go to sleep, and then it helps them sleep. I don't know how it works. I, I, they are so addicted to it that their body doesn't know the difference between being on caffeine and not on caffeine. I think that's what it is. <laughs> so it's like they're, they're like conditioned their bodies. To that's right. Have... <laughs> they're, they're immune to caffeine. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's uh this is not a weird uh, dream I had about you last night, but actually uh, just before I was waking up, I was like, Oh, is this time to wake up now? Because my alarm hasn't rang. And then I must have dozed off, like back to sleep for another 15 minutes. And then in that moment, I had a dream where I was, we were doing the live, but you were um, as a DJ, actually not, you were not the DJ, but you were next to DJ in the booth in, in like a nightclub. Oh and man. Then, and the music was pumping. I'm like, what, Mike, what's, I don't understand. What's the... <laughs> I'm way cooler in your dream than I am in real life. I think that's the, that's the takeaway. So I really want to, um, say massive thanks for joining me for for this instagram live you bet um yeah i know that lots of designers will be super uh, pumped to 
well to find out a lot of uh, information from you 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 like you're one of those brains that i just like to download and then upload to my own brain it's uh, good uh, thank you i appreciate all that. of the information <laughs> and so today we're going to be talking about pricing uh, in general for freelancers kind of you know uh, efficient workflows and just general mm -hmm. practices for freelancers to because i know a lot of designers struggle with pricing just yeah. in general yeah so i guess my first question really is why do you think that is is there some um you know i have a feeling that maybe it's because we kind of uh, some of us uh, view ourselves as artists you know graphic designer graphic artist and so it's very subjective and then maybe that's the reason why we have difficulty to associate ourselves with kind of uh you know the pricing yeah. element because it's slightly yeah. different it's a slightly different you know mindset i think pricing and sales and uh i think know, design i think a lot of people a lot of creatives struggle with pricing because they have a built-in insecurity of their own worth and I think that in design schools, we breed this, I've talked about it a few times, but we breed this insecurity into designers by critiquing their stuff always from the very first day. So if you're insecure at all, which a lot of designers are by nature, and then you go to design school and you're throwing your work on the gray board from the very first day and getting critiqued by 20 classmates, well, that just fosters insecurity inside of designers. So a lot of designers leave school with this kind of built-in insecurity. I think that that's one issue that creates a problem when they try and price their work. The other one is that designers, typically we love to do what we do so much that we would do it for free and it's fun for us. And whenever it's fun and we would do it for free, there's a hard paradigm shift that needs to happen where we say, wait a second, I can't do this for free. I've got to charge money for this and I've got to run this like a business, but because we love it so much, it's hard for us to run it like a business because we would, I mean, what do you do when you don't have client work? You're working on your own stuff. You're and every designer around the world, millions and millions of us, when we don't have somebody paying us money, we're just going to do our own stuff anyway. We're, every day is the same. We like to make stuff. I think that, that that's a challenge that a lot of designers have to overcome. They have to get over that idea that it is okay to charge clients for this. It is okay to be profitable. It's okay to maximize profitability in the work that we do. It's okay to do that. It, it is the purpose of it. It's a business. So we got to treat it like a business. Yeah, it's. Um, I actually just finished a book by uh, Stephen Pressfield. Uh, not don't know if you read it. Uh, it's called yeah. The Art of War. Oh. And uh, so he talks about the resistance, which is the kind of the force that stops us creatives from uh, creating things. So uh -huh. he talks about this a lot. Like you, you create for the love uh, uh, of your craft, but also uh, as a professional, you obviously need to charge money for it. And there's, he kind of um, gives a, an interesting example. He kind of says, incorporate yourself uh, as a business, uh, uh -huh. not necessarily in a literal way, but more kind of in a mindset way that you kind of separate your, the artist you from the professional you. So yeah. it's almost like you're um, 
lending yourself out or you know leasing yourself out or your services so it's kind of like it it, it uh, helps a lot of artists actually you know step away from that artist and kind of the that subjective feeling of them yeah. being so attached to the art and the design and being critiqued like you you're talking about yeah and just think about it objectively you know and, and sell the services you know almost like if you were a salesman on the, you know acting on behalf of that designer or artist if you were like yeah. working in a team environment yeah i agree with that uh, i think that sometimes designers struggle to make that separation of design as a business and design as an art form and you'll see a lot of designers even a few years into their career where they they struggle with client feedback they struggle with critique they struggle with people changing their design that's so great for them they love it because it's because they're an artist that's their mindset they haven't made that shift that there are two different types of design there's design as a business which is all about satisfying the client reaching the target customer communicating effectively that's what the design as a business is and then there's design as an art form which is all about the aesthetics and all about the the self-expression that we have the artistic side of design and those two things oftentimes cannot coexist there are times when we have to let go of this artistic designer mindset and shift ourselves to, to say, you know what, my job here is to communicate to a target customer and make my client happy. And sometimes I don't get to do the most artistic, greatest artistic design piece to achieve that. But other times I can work on my own projects and occasionally a client will want the artistic work of art for their design and it will work to communicate to the customer and satisfy the client sometimes you get the overlap but most of the time it's one or the other you're either design as a business or design as an art form yeah i think especially in the, if you're working part of a team or you, as a freelancer either way uh the client is you know the end um, end user who's receiving your his um, commissioned this piece of work from you mm -hmm. so um, and your goal as a professional is to deliver you know the work that's going to be like you're saying satisfying his uh, needs and wants but at, at the same time the, his target users needs yeah. and wants and that's essentially who like ultimately who you're trying to you know create a design yeah. uh, and your client can actually provide feedback that's hopefully can help you you know elevate your design to the point of where they can do that because in some cases we as designers we don't know everything about every single business mm -hmm. so when a, when a client of ours says well um you know i don't like this design for such and such reasons uh, you can get them to provide you feedback in a way that's actually helpful to you know progress the end result yeah and make it more appropriate for the end user yeah um because I think a lot of designers struggle with that feedback too. You know, they kind of take that negative feedback. Uh, in in some cases, the client is not trained how to provide feedback. So, yeah. you know, they're receiving like, I don't like this design because, you know, I just don't know. They don't know how to dig deeper and find out the real reasons and to get the, you know, they, they think it's uh, like a personal attack on their design. You know? Exactly. Yeah. That, I have a post coming out next week 
um, it's already done, but it's, it is a post about this exact point. It's who cares what the client's opinion is? Who cares? Who cares what your opinion is? There's only one opinion that matters in as a designer, and that's the opinion of the target customer. And a lot of times as a designer, we get into this battle with our clients because we have our opinion that this should be this way. And the client has their opinion that it should be this way. And we get into this battle with our client about my opinion is right and their opinion is, they think their opinion is right. And the truth is who cares about my opinion and who cares about their opinion? The question is, will this achieve communication, effective communication and action in the target customer. That's the only opinion that matters. And if we can shift as designers, if we can shift our partnership with a client to be me and the client on the same team trying to reach the target customer, then the whole project goes more smoothly. But a lot of times designers and clients are adversarial in their perspective of the work. And, and we gotta get away from that. It's beneficial to, to steer your client into the mindset of, all right, and, and, and you can do it this way. You can do it by asking the question instead of asking the client, so client, what do you think of this logo design? Instead of that, you ask the client, hey client, what, how do you think your customer will react to this logo design. Just a simple little shift like that in the way that we ask questions changes everything in the conversation. So don't ask for the client's opinion, ask for the client's opinion about what they think their target customer's opinion is about is going to say about the work. And then if you also define like kind of uh, some sort of objectives uh, for, for that target customer, in, at the outset, so you might have discussed that with the client before you yeah. even started designing this piece of design, then you can actually say, uh, objectively, um, does this logo, does this piece of design meet this particular criteria that we've defined together? Um, so whether that might be, um, you know, does the logo convey the essence of, um, you know, uh, femininity or something? I, yeah. I don't know, you know, whatever that yeah. might be, the objective. And then you can sort of see, you know, that becomes an easier feedback too for the designers because it's no longer just you know the client thinking i have no idea what to say i just yeah I, I, you know they're kind of saying the exact like you're kind of leading them onto the questions as to how they should provide you the feedback also yeah. so that it's helpful for you as a designer too yeah and you're the master so at that that's a that's a good you love you love that kind of stuff the way that you think yeah it's just my, yeah. my mind is um very analytical and, and yeah so i always try to find what's the process is there some sort of a process that I, I hate you know relying on like as a designer you kind of have to rely on gut feelings uh, quite a lot but if you do like if it's a hundred percent gut feeling then it's you know it's like hit and miss sometimes maybe on a bad day you, you know your, your gut feeling is off like you haven't slept properly or something and then you just yeah. your intuition is off so you kind of need some underlying foundations or processes that kind of help you to you know almost ground you you know if you yeah. like yeah so uh, one of the major things that um, I want to talk to you about, I know that you have um, a massive freelance uh, course out uh, mm -hmm. at, at the moment. And so it's got uh, quite a few different sections. It's basically like a turnkey solution, right? For freelancers, it takes you through, you know, pricing and 
uh, sending proposals and in running your creative business and yeah. uh, uh, you know setting your rates and all this kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But what I was really uh, curious to find out is if you could give us kind of like a bird eye view uh, for the sales process for for mm. say a single freelancer. So say I'm a solopreneur uh, and maybe I'm, there's a team of two of us. I'm you know maybe a small team. Um, yeah. How, from a moment of say a client contacts us and they yeah. say, okay, I've got this, you know, potential project. Um, how do you uh, go by from, you know, from that moment to actually making the sale? Yeah, it's a great question. Okay, so um, I'm analytical like you and I love to break things down into steps, break them down into steps. And so when we hear sales, a lot of designers, they start to clam up and think, oh no, sales, I hate sales. That's what they start to that's what they start to think because by nature we're not salesy people and uh so what i like to do i and i and i explain this in the course but i'll give you the bird's eye view i break my sales process into three different segments and segment number one is all about qualifying the opportunity and i'll go through these in a little bit more detail in a second so qualify the opportunity then you propose the solution back to the client and then you close the deal. So that's my three phased approach. Nothing revolutionary in that. And, um, but that's the, that's the approach. And so when I start in a sales process, I always am thinking, okay, what phase of this sales process of this sales flow am I in? And when we're in the qualifying opportunity, like you just said, a, a client reaches out to me and says, hey, I have a new project for you. The first thing that I'm thinking is, okay, do I wanna work with the client? Is this project gonna be a good fit for me? It, are they gonna have enough money to spend on the project? There are three things in the qualification process. It's you qualify the client, qualify the project, and qualify their budget that they can afford the solution that they want. And this process of qualifying, of qualification, has to happen in a phone call. It has to happen in a meeting. It can't be done through them sending you an RFP and you replying back to them, sending them a proposal. I, I did a post yesterday about this sales flow, that there were two designers. One designer gets the RFP and sends emails a proposal back and never talks to the client. And the other designer gets the RFP here and then gets on the phone with the client and just discusses the project and then sends the email notes to the client and then does a face-to-face -face presentation of their solution to the client's problem and this designer number two is the one who 99 percent of the time is going to have a significant advantage over designer number one <clears throat> in their ability to close the deal so you gotta, you gotta have a sales flow like this. And it all starts with qualifying the, qualifying the client. Do I wanna work with them? Do they wanna work with me? Are we a good fit to work together? Then you qualify the project. Is this a, a project that I can execute on in a way that's gonna satisfy the needs, the objectives of the client? Can I do this work and provide value to the client? Or find you, someone like, you know, or, is a a partner or something exactly or or yeah can my business satisfy the needs of the client whether i can do it myself or not can my business satisfy the needs of the client and then you have 
qualify the budget. And that's all about asking the client, okay, so you, you need a new e-commerce website. We've talked about the reasons and objectives that you have around this e-commerce website. Now, what budget are you working with to, to do this? Because it's gonna cost money to do it. So you've gotta qualify the budget. And I have a bunch of, we won't go into all the details on how you get the budget out of the client. I've done that in, in a number of pieces of content. But you qualify those things. And if the client, after you qualify those three things, if they check the boxes that you need them to check, then you move on to proposing a solution back to the client. Now, some people, some clients will drop out in this phase. They'll drop out. You'll say to them, hey, I, I don't, it's not a good fit for our agency. Or sometimes a client will say, you know what, we really feel like we should go with this other designer over here for whatever reason. So sometimes they don't qualify. You don't qualify for them or they don't qualify for you and you don't end up working together. But if they check those boxes, then you proceed to proposing a solution back to the client. And proposing a solution is all about understanding their problem and then telling them how you're going to solve their problem. And you do that in the form of a proposal presentation. I am not a fan of emailing proposals. It is so not salesman-y of the people who just are emailing out proposals and you're losing, you're losing business to the people like me who are gonna present the proposal to the client. Because if you just email the proposal and everybody, say a, say a client has three requests, re, approaches three agencies, and all three agencies <clears throat> send their proposal to the client, what is the, what is the client making their decision upon 90% of the time? Pricing. Pricing, that's it. And price competition is the lowest level of business that we can find as designers. Clients who are out there price shopping, that's the bottom. Yeah, you don't know where they, 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 they might be, you know, uh, shopping in the market where the pricing is, is already, you know, super low. And then exactly. They say, well, this guy is 10 times what, less than what you're charging. Why should I yeah. go with you? You know, sort of thing. Exactly. Because you've never talked with them. So you have to change the competition in your favor. And if everybody sends in, say, say you have uh, an opportunity where client requests a proposal and two of the agencies just email back their proposal, but you get on the phone with the client, you just you have a discovery session, you present your proposal back to the client, you show them how you're going to fulfill their needs and satisfy their objectives, and then the client is no longer comparing just price. The client has price on these people and price from you, but they have other factors to consider, like your strategy to solve their problem, the quality of work, the quality of presentation, the quality of your project management strategies, how this is gonna be a good customer experience for them. They, you can, win the competition because it's no longer just based upon price. So you got to get on the phone with these clients to propose your solution back to them. And then the final piece of the flow in just a bird's eye view of a sales flow 
is after we propose our solution back, then we're ready to close the deal and contract the client. And that comes in the form of a statement of work that is an official contract between you and the client that defines all of the details of the engagement. And a lot of designers skip this. They just are having their clients sign a proposal that has a loose scope in it. And then they wonder why the project blows up in round five of the project because it wasn't defined properly in the first place. And so uh, this closing the deal, if you segment that out in the sales flow of qualify, propose and close, then you can spend a lot more energy writing up a bona fide contract that is going to protect you and protect the client in this engagement. So bird's eye view, that's a sales flow. And what my recommendation is to designers is understand where you are in these three phases. Are you qualifying the client? And if so, then you gotta do that right. After they're qualified, then you propose your solution back. And if the client wants to proceed, then you contract the client and close the deal. Wow, I've got so many questions and I can see that uh, there's quite Good. a few questions here in the, in the uh, comments too. So I might just um, address some of the comments here in, in the uh, feed. Um, so we've got uh, Frank is asking, how do you feel about presenting proposal with a video message that kind of talks you through the proposal rather than uh, in a live call? Uh, oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, that's an interesting yeah. idea. It's always better to do it live if you can. Um, it's better because you can read the client's response to things. You can change up the pacing of your presentation. If they're looking a little bored, you speed up through one <laughs> section. If they're looking super interested in another section, you slow down. So there's that interaction that you lose if you're just doing a canned video message. But if there's no way to get the client on a phone call, then sending it with a video walkthrough is, is a logical and good next step. And it will improve your chances over the people who just send the proposal and hope the client reads it. Because mm -hmm. what happens if, if, all, if three people send a 10 page proposal and the client's just gonna scroll through nine pages to get to page 10 and see what your price is, because that's the, that's the comparison that they're making. So slowing them down to consider other things other than just price is super valuable. But that's a good question, Reagan Frank. Frank yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of analogies with um, when you present design and sales. So I think you can, as a designer, you know, I think 90% you know, of designers now know that you should be presenting your design work face-to-face yeah. uh, -face as well. And it's the same kind of reasons. Like you kind of want to see, you don't want them just to go, open the, your presentation PDF file and yeah. go to the last page with the logo because yeah. you've, they've just skipped the entire storytelling and yeah. how you got there and all the objectives that you're trying to hit and then going, yeah. yeah, I don't like it. And you're like, yeah. well, you, have, you don't even know what it's based on. Like, what, how can you judge it? Yeah. You know, so it's the same kind of deal with um, talking through pricing. Um, speaking of kind of talking the client through the uh, proposal uh, and the pricing, um, is it just a, a case of you kind of building up, uh, this is your uh, pain point or this is your problem that we've defined uh, and this is the kind of solutions that we're trying to uh, solve uh, or come up with 
and then kind of showing revealing the price at the end or like is, is it a form of a question or do you say this is a ballpark um yeah. kind of for the solution or is this a you know or, or we have a fixed price as an agency for this particular uh solution like how, what's the kind of the most effective approach that you found so there, there was a study there was an interesting study that i read when i was re writing my psychology of graphic design pricing book i started to do a little research on why we present the price last and there's actually a psychological <clears throat> difference that happens in the mind of the client if you present the price first the client knows the price and then you show them your solution then they're making their decision based on price if you present your solution first and then show price at the end then they make their decision based on whether they like your solution or not so whatever you're presenting first becomes the primary decision making uh, factor or variable in the equation so always present the price last and in my proposal strategy that i used and i used at my agency and we build millions of dollars doing this this way you walk the client through your process of how you're going to solve their problem you take them through the phases of production that will yield the result that they want and solve the their needs solve their objectives so and then at the end of that, the client is sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I love this. This is so good. I had this happen. I mean, I have, I've had clients applaud at the end of a proposal where they clap at the end because they're so excited about their project because we sold them on the flow. No, I'm not kidding. We had clients who applauded at the end of a, a thing, this boardroom of, of clients. So you walk them through this and then they, and then you reveal the price, but while you're getting through, say you're 30, you're 75% of the way through the proposal, if you've done it effectively, the client is sitting there and they're thinking a couple of things. They're thinking, number one, oh my gosh, I love this. This is gonna be so good. This, this is exactly what we need. Wow, they're experts. And then they're thinking item number two, if you do it right, they're thinking, oh boy, I hope I have enough money to work with them. That's what they're thinking. If you do your salesmanship right, that's they're thinking those two things by the end of your proposal. When you finally reveal the price, and hopefully your price is actually less than what they were anticipating in the first place, because they're so convinced that your solution is going to be so effective for them. Right. It's it's a kind of um, somewhat also about the relationship building uh, in in that sense. They kind of start to develop that trust for you because they can see they've seen something in your proposal that they they think yes i now trust mike and his team mm -hmm. to deliver you know in this kind of yeah the pricing becomes a less of a factor or deciding yeah. factor for them they they will pay more clients will pay more if they trust you to provide a better solution than the other than the other people competing for the project mm -hmm. you got to get away from the price comparison and and build your sales position based on either the quality of the solution that you're going to provide to them, which is where a lot of people compete. They compete on quality. There, I have in, in my course, I have a, a hierarchy of sales position. And the first one, the very bottom on this hierarchy is price, <clears throat> where you're battling price. And if you're $99 and somebody's $98, well, 
you're going to lose because that you're battling on price and $1 will make a difference. And the clients who are shopping for price will go with the cheapest price. You don't want to play there. It's a bad place to play. It's the race to the bottom and it's not a good business for you. Then you have convenience, the next tier up, that some clients will pay more money because you can hit a timeline that other people can't hit. They'll pay more because they need it on Friday. They can't wait until Monday. They'll pay more to get it on Friday than they will on Monday. And if you can hit Friday and two other people can't, even though they were cheaper, you'll get the job because convenience is a priority to the client. The next element on the hierarchy is quality of solution, the quality of work that you produce. And this is a place where a lot of designers play. This is where they compete. If the client truly believes that Ilya can produce better quality than Mike, they don't care that Ilya is going to cost more than Mike. They're going to choose Ilya because the quality of solution is going to be better. And that's where a lot of designers compete. The next one above that is relationship. Relationship, this is where <clears throat> it's your buddies. I, and I had this in my business for a lot of years where people were my friends. My clients became my friends. Some of them are, are some of my best friends. They've become my friends. And they would just tell me their budget. They, and they wanted me to make money off of it. And they wanted to give the project to me. They didn't even shop it around. They were just, the relationship created the opportunity. And quality, convenience, and price all is thrown out the door if the client is buying you because of their relationship. And then the final one, and this is the Shangri-La of the design world, is if you're selling based on your reputation. If you are Aaron Draplin designing logos and you've built uh, hundreds of thousands of followers and admiration from the world in your logo design, then you're selling based on reputation and your prices go way up. People will buy you because they want to say that Draplin did my logo. Paul Rand was a good example of this. One of the greatest logo designers of all time could charge a million dollars for what Ilya could charge $1,000 for because Paul Rand was selling based on his reputation. Sucks for Ilya, kudos to Paul Rand. And, and we have those people in the world. Michael Beirut is one, and I use him as an example a lot, that people will choose Michael Beirut and Pentagram to do a rebrand because they want his name attached to the work. And they will pay millions of dollars to do something that another person in the world might only be able to charge 500 bucks for because they're buying reputation. So where are you on the spectrum? What's your client's priority in buying? If you understand this sales position, it can change the dynamics of how you price your work, how you sell your work, how you discuss the solutions that you're providing for the client. Everything changes once you start to understand where you're playing in that hierarchy. Oh yeah, there, there's so many levels here. It's um, uh, I want to address some of these questions too. So uh, yeah. I'm going to ask you guys: Can you uh, maybe uh, make it easier for Mike and I? Just put them in the actual questions box. There's a little uh, questions um, widget button. Uh, so we have one question in there. Uh, I'm just going to pull that up. Uh, so, yeah, good. Yeah. So we've come up. Um, there's a few questions, and I, I think I've seen a similar question come up before. Uh, so. 
uh, Sorush uh, says, I live in a country with very low money value. So yeah. um, uh, thinking about accepting work from all over the world. And there was a similar question um, that I was talking about asking whether, how do they approach pricing, uh, you know, bad economy versus good economy or, mm, you know, yeah. a market that can't afford something versus, um, you know, so I guess uh, this is a, so, somewhat ties in together. I think it's, you know, uh, trying to look for a market that's actually can spend the money that you're yeah. thinking it should be worth. Um, but yeah, how, do, how do you generally approach uh, working in a, you know, low, low money value country? Um, yeah. Um, you know, working with bigger clients, I guess, how do you sell yourself um, in that sense? Because I suppose, you know, Western countries, perhaps, uh, this is more like a stereotypical thing, but, you know, Western countries will assume that, uh, you know, a person from, uh, like, say, Russia, Ukraine or something mm -hmm. is going to be charging less money than, you know, someone might, who might be living in Australia. I mean, that's, you know, again, this is generalization, but, you know, that's a lot of people will have that mindset. So how do you even battle that uh, if you're uh, from one of those kind of countries? Well, I think you can play to your advantage. You you seek a competitive advantage in any in any sales flow. You're looking for what is your competitive advantage. Now, if you're in a in a smaller country, a poorer country compared to a you know United States as an example, where people spend a lot more money on design in the United States than they're going to spend on design in a lot of other countries in the world. Now. If you're in one of those countries, what is your competitive advantage? It's not location because it's more complicated to work with you. It's not um, quality typically because somebody who is working in the United States, and this is not, this is just a broad generalization, but I know designers in almost every country in the world that are amazing designers. So it's broad generalization, but the perception from a US company looking outside of the United States, they're going to say, okay, my, my quality is probably gonna go down if I use somebody in a less developed country. And then, and then again, broad generalization, I'm not trying to offend anybody, this is just perception of the, of the market. The, um, but price, Price is your competitive <clears throat> advantage. Your cost to do business in a, in a poorer country is less than the cost to do business in a richer country. So you have to play to your competitive advantage. If, if they're gonna choose somebody um, in the United States, their competitive advantage in the United States, a, take San Francisco market, okay. for example. San Francisco tech, tech heavy market, Silicon Valley, the, the heart of the tech world is the Bay Area in San Francisco area and the surrounding 100 miles. That's the heart of it. And if somebody is local to that, it's so expensive to live there. It's so hmm. expensive to do business there. Their competitive advantage is not price. They have to charge more or they don't have a business. What is their competitive advantage? It's location is a competitive advantage for them. And it's um, uh, understanding of the client, that they're in the heart of Silicon Valley as well. They, by, by nature, have a better understanding of the client, the culture, the business culture, 
the customer base, all of those things, because they're right there in the heart of it. But price is not their competitive advantage. So if you take the, if you take the case of being somewhere where the cost to do business is cheaper, you, you're playing at a disadvantage in location and a disadvantage in understanding the client's business culture, but you have an advantage in the price you can charge, where you can charge less, still run a successful business charging less than what the competition does. And some clients will choose you as a result of that. But you got to play to your strengths in any sales cycle like this. I guess, though, if, if you're in one of those countries, let's say, and uh, your aim is actually to uh, increase your prices to what, say, an another person from Russia or Ukraine or, or sure. wherever uh, is charging. So you, you're kind of trying to almost, you're trying to be a little bit cheeky and you're trying to, you know, uh, make your prices almost at the same level as what, you know, someone from Australia or US would sure. be charging. Um, I guess you're already battling, right, from, from a, uh, you know, position of disadvantage, like you exactly. said, your location is um, not right. You don't quite understand the market. Um, so, yeah, so you kind of, yeah, like, like you said, you need to play to your strengths and play to your um, strengths. And now you can, because at the top of the pyramid, um, at the top of the hierarchy is reputation. And a designer can build a reputation from anywhere in the world right now. This is, we're in an open global market. Social media is a global uh, for the most part, most countries in the world have access to the, social, the same social media platforms where they can market and promote their work. And you can build a reputation from anywhere. And once you get to that hierarchy, that top, top of the pyramid of selling based on your reputation, prices go up no matter where you are uh, because you're selling from that perspective, from that sales position. Yeah, uh, but you have it, to get it, there first. But you have to get <laughs> there first. first. You have yeah. to get there first. Yeah. Um, All right. So Iman uh, has got a question here. Can we propose different prices for different customers for the unique services? I think he means um, that's, I think, re referencing the proposal. So, um, well, I, don't, I, I mean, yes. Bill, you can, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a unique, like, I don't know, you can have fixed pricing like packages or something, but yeah. every project is quite unique. So I don't know. That you, you can, can still like package it though. Um, so you can still package it. So it's in sales, it's called price bracketing and price bracketing is the idea of um, presenting multiple different packages to the client so that they choose what they want most. And I use this when a client couldn't really define their budget. So I wasn't quite sure where I was bidding. So sometimes I would present them three different options. I would say, okay, here we have a low end option that is just one of the three services that you want. And it's this price. And now we have option number two, which is two of the services that you want. And it's this price. And we have option number three and it's all three services and it's this price. And when you do that, you kind of insulate yourself from being cast aside too early in the sales process where the client can look at it and say, okay, well, I really want all three services, but I really want to work with Ilya. And if I want to work with Ilya and my budget only gets one of the services, I still want to choose him and I'll just do the other two later. So you kind of insulate yourself from over budgeting the, the job 
when you price bracket and send three, usually the, the most common price bracket is three, a choice of three. Um, so that's a way to do that, to propose different prices for a different set of services. Now, this other question that could mean what this means from Iman here is it is okay to charge one client one amount and another client another amount for the exact same services because you have to you have to free yourself up to price the client to not say okay i'm just pricing my services i'm pricing the client a logo design logo is a great example logo design for nike is going to cost a lot more because the exposure of that logo goes to a much broader range of people than the logo design to Joe's Pizza on your street in your town of 150 people. You can't charge the same for logo design to Joe's Pizza in your town as you can to Nike and a global brand. So you have to uh, take each client's unique situation into account and price your projects based on the client's needs and position, not just the, uh, <laughs> I saw Tom's message in there. <laughs> He's heard me use Joe's pizza. I think I use Joe. I, and there's Sally. Yeah. Joe and yeah, Sally, the, man. Yeah, on, on the, Joe um, and Sally on the podcast all the time. <laughs> yeah. Joe and Sally are my, they're my people for sure. Joe's Pizza. Joe's Pizza is, is in there. Every, every podcast, I think. Every like. podcast. <laughs> Joe's Pizza. I want to uh, go to Joe's Pizza. I, there are probably a hundred Joe's Pizzas in the world. I'm sure there is. Yeah. Um, a question from Kieran. How should a young designer position themselves in order to gain or retain clients? So, I mean, that sort of taps into their reputation yeah um kind of you know it, it takes time sometimes but um from a positioning i think your course actually breaks down uh, how to position yourself as a freelancer right yeah yeah i go into positioning for sure but i think a good answer for this kieran is understand where you are in the spectrum and when you very first get started as a designer you are most often competing based on price because you don't have a portfolio filled with 15 years of quality work. You don't have relationships of friends that are creative directors at global brands that are sending you work. You have not built a reputation over 30 years of doing the most amazing logos in the world. You, you don't have any of those things. So most often you're competing at that price game. I mean, and, and take it to, into consideration, your first job out of college is going to be probably your least paying job for the, your whole career. You have, to take, shit, most likely. You, you have to start somewhere because that's all you're qualified for at the start. Now you can move up fast in your career. I, I did. I started just bottom junior designer and four years later, I was running a design department at Fox Studios. So you can accelerate that growth with self-education and things. But at the start, when you're positioning yourselves, you got to understand that a lot of times to compete for the work, you're competing based on price. And it's just the unfortunate truth, but it doesn't last forever. Let me see. There's a question from Tom we can take. If warm options aren't available, your favorite recommended cold option for getting clients. Uh, good. Okay. So warm options are, are people you know, <clears throat> Tom knows this because we've talked so much, but people you know that 
you, you've worked with in the past that you can reach out to again. So what is my favorite cold option where you're going to go and try and market yourself in a way to people that you don't know at all? Cold calling in essence. And my favorite cold sales option is probably attending networking events, the kind of a lunch groups where you sit around a table with eight or 10 people, you eat lunch together, and then you hear a talk or something that they bring in a speaker. And almost every city in the world has these kinds of a, a groups that you can attend in the form of a chamber of commerce or um, business connection groups and things. And I like those just because I'm a sociable person. I love to make new friends and connect with people. And I do know the value of relationships in business that people that it's high on the hierarchy. The only thing higher on the hierarchy is reputation. Reputation is the only thing that's ever gonna beat a relationship in somebody's decision to choose you to do business for them. So getting where you can build a solid relationship is valuable. And most of the people who attend these kinds of networking events are there because they wanna build relationships too. So it makes it a simpler process. Yeah, I think it's gonna depend right on the type of person that you are too. Um, for some people, maybe going to conferences, maybe is not going to be um, as efficient, let's say, as for you, uh, Mike. Um, maybe, uh, like, and that also goes to another question that I had about uh, doing a proposal or pricing for uh, the client on the call. Uh, some people don't have that mindset. They don't have the sales kind of mindset. So it's very difficult for them yeah. even to get on the call in the first place. So I mean, to call the client and say, hey, client, yeah. thanks for your request for proposal you know uh, i guess um for people that struggle with you know communication in general or you know or getting on the call with a client do they have to get a partner who's just more of a salesperson or do they have to just harden up and kind of um, become more salesy i suppose <laughs> um yes probably number two and i know that this is a problem that a lot of people face they uh, they struggle with the sales. They are introverted. They're afraid to talk to clients. They struggle with that. So um, I, my, my sales course is 10 hours of video content. And I know this problem exists and I tackle it in the course in the form of here are concrete discovery meeting agendas. Here are the exact questions you ask. I give example um, conversations. You're meeting somebody for the first time in this situation here's what you say, here's what you talk about. Um, so I've tried to make that as turnkey as I can in my course so that people who struggle with it uh, can work to overcome it. I also did an entire lesson about overcoming sales introversion because it's so common for people that, and that lessons, I probably talk about it for 15 minutes or something, just me to the camera about here are some strategies to overcome sales introversion. But the fact of the matter is, is that you really probably need to start to get over it. Anything can be learned. I believe you can learn to be more outgoing. You can learn to be more comfortable talking in front of people, talking to strangers, talking to clients. You can become more comfortable. And if you wanna be a freelancer or own an agency, you're gonna be in those situations. It's hard to avoid them. And you really need to start to, to overcome those challenges that you face. And I believe that you can, because I'm by nature, when I was a little kid, I was introverted and shy and I'm far from that now. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's you have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit as well. So, yeah, um, if you just sit at home or you know in your office and on your computer and just answering emails, um, and then, and you never pick up the phone, you don't go yeah. deliver your design uh, work to clients in face to face. You don't de deliver your pricing face to face. Chances are you you know you're not going to be operating for a very long time just because the the work is going to dry up even if you're working with clients who have previously worked with you they're going to you know get a better service from another person who's going to do that um, somebody who is more extroverted and outgoing is going to go in and sell them and they're going to they're going to sell them and steal them away and uh so you gotta you gotta be in front of the clients it's just you gotta you gotta be in front of the clients so it's hard for some people but you can systemize it and you can work on it and you can practice and you can get better i know it uh, last question here from jess um should designers include pricing information on the website i think that's a, a very uh, good question for creatives yes. in general um hi jess and jess is my friend so this is a good question and i actually have a post exactly about this coming out early next week as well. Nice. Um, so, so two of the questions of today are getting tackled in a carousel post coming up. But this one, it is detrimental to you to include pricing on your website because of, because the bottom of the sales hierarchy is price. And if you're mm -hmm. posting your price, then people are making a decision based on price. You're advertising your price. So it attracts mm. price shoppers. And if you're $9.99 and then they find three other people that are $9.98, you lose before you even get a chance to talk to the client. Mm. Sad for you because you're yeah. losing on price, which is the bottom of the market, of the sales market anyway, you, you're losing before you even get that chance to talk to them. So I highly recommend against putting pricing on your website, unless you want to be a logo churn shop and you want to staff your business filled with $10 an hour logo designers and you give them one hour to do a logo and that's all they get and you try and churn 1,000 logos a month out of your business and the designer gets an hour and they just, and the client gets what they get and you're charging 20 bucks for the logo and you're paying the designer 10, then yes, and those businesses exist. Um, yes, you can make it if you wanna be a churn and burn shop, but outside of that, uh, don't post your prices. It's yeah, custom that's... solutions for custom clients. Every client's different, their, their customers are different, their brand position is different, your solution will be different and priced differently in every situation. Such a great question and It is a great question. Answer. Yep. So right. I want to send people to, to your course, Mike. And uh, I know that uh, it's uh, a couple of days ago, I think it's gone up uh, slightly. Slightly. And yes. And then um, in, uh, uh, tell us a little bit. Uh, it's, there's another uh, price uh, going up, I think, in August. Ju or yeah, July. July or August. It's, uh, the, the course is at freelancewithjanda.com. I launched with four courses and 26 hours of content. Um, and tons of templates and things that you can download and just turnkey solutions. And then I have two more courses that are launching in July that will probably add another 15 hours of content. It's gonna be over 40 hours of content. 
Right now, I have it priced at $399 because I want to get as many people as I can to use it because the, but the content is way more, you're going to get an ROI on this in your very first project. I can almost guarantee it, the, the quantity of, of uh, content and the value of the content. So anyway, check it out, freelancewithjanda.com. I hate being salesy. Again, we're talking about no, sales, no. But, but I hate it myself. So um, but everyone, everyone, everyone's, you know, making a living of some kind, you know, that we design us, we're pricing ourselves. And this is an incredibly va valuable course. All that the information in there is going to be super valuable, even just from the stuff that I've seen. Uh, yeah, so yeah, check good. out, go, um, Mike's got a link to that course uh, in his uh, in my profile. profile. Mm -hmm. So you can go and check that out. So yeah. Mike, thanks so much. Um, hey man, thank really you for making this time. happen. I appreciate it. And you're, you're a good friend. I appreciate you making this happen. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you. Have thanks. a good afternoon. Thanks for the question. See ya. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Hey, so great to see that you've made it till the end of the episode. And thank you so much for listening to the studio podcast. I hope you have enjoyed today's guest. This is a series of live conversations that I host on a weekly basis on my Instagram account. We are studio. Uh, I invite a range of creative leaders and other interesting speakers talk about the range of topics such as creativity, mindset, branding and leadership skills. So if you'd like to catch the next conversation live, be sure to find me and follow me on Instagram. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as it would really mean the world to me to hear your feedback. Uh, and also it will actually help me tremendously to get the podcast heard by more ambitious creatives like yourself. Now remember, the world needs your creativity and you have the power to ignite it. I'll catch you on the next episode.